Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, where we talk philosophy from the farm. I'm your host, Terrence Lahue. Today's guest is Peter Gruby, a good friend of mine and a great farmer. Today, we'll talk about what got him interested in farming, how he chooses the vegetables he raises, why he decided to be certified organic, and together, we'll even critique modern agriculture. If this episode sounds a little different, it's because we tried to do our first in-person interview. So please enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you for having me, Terrence. Uh, Can you share a little bit about yourself with the audience? Sure thing. I am a 29-year-old farmer. I am single. One of my favorite hobbies is cooking. I love spending time in nature. I've been farming since 2009 and gardening since 1999. So how many acres is your farm? Our farm is 20 acres. We have eight acres in diverse vegetables and we have eight acres in organic hay and the rest is kind of small orchard Mm -hmm. and infrastructure. That's awesome. So, uh, and by the way, we're on location at Peter's Farm, Middlebury Farms. And so if you hear the sound of our coffee mugs, we're just enjoying ourselves as we record this interview. So what was it the first got you interested in agriculture? Not a lot of boys from Barrington usually get into farming. So actually back in 1997, Mm -hmm. my mother and father took my brother, my sister, and myself to Williamsburg and Monticello. So this is East Coast. They did the little summer vacation. And Williamsburg, you're able to tour um, the old colonial town of Williamsburg. You get to go to the old estates. They have uh, the gardens going. And I saw what an actual vegetable garden looked like on a fourth of an acre or Mm -hmm. half of an acre. And then they took us to Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's mm-hmm. estate. And I intellectual agrarian himself. Yes. And I really saw how things were done there and that it was possible. And I never knew that people actually grew small acres of vegetables. I, I always thought it was 40,000 acres in California. And when we were um, at Monticello, we were able to see uh, his rectangular uh, garden beds his vineyards. He was growing over a hundred different varieties of vegetables there, and they were Mm -hmm. still maintaining it 150 years later. We were able to see his root cellars, and I was inspired just to at least uh, uh, try uh, some tomatoes that next summer. And actually, they had a seed shop there, and my Mm -hmm. dad had bought some seeds for a souvenir, and we saved them for the next year. Uh So I... I guess I wasn't inspired to become a full-on farmer, but definitely to start gardening a little bit of acreage. Mm -hmm. And we did have a little bit of space in our neighborhood growing up. So in 1999, I leased, uh, it was like a fourth of an acre Mm -hmm. of a neighbor's land. And I I played with tomatoes and lettuce and Mm -hmm. uh, zucchinis. And it, it was successful. And at first we were just cooking all the vegetables, but then I started to sell some to some neighbors, mm-hmm. um, to some friends. And I guess kind of from there, I was inspired to 
to, to do it, not just a hobby, but for an actual job. Wow, it is incredible. I mean, not a lot of guys start out with that idea and that passion. So you are a certified organic operation. What was it that made you choose to go certified organic? A lot of small farmers decide to just call themselves sustainable or local. So I guess um, when I was leasing that fourth of an acre Mm -hmm. uh, in Barrington, I did eventually build it up to a half acre. Mm -hmm. And I was selling to all the neighbors. I was selling to even some of my teachers Mm -hmm. in high school and then started to do a small farmer's market in the summer. Uh, It was in Arlington Heights. And I sold to a few little bistros, some of my blueberries, some of my tomatoes. And I always said it was organic. Mm -hmm. And it was. I was growing it organically. But eventually they're like, we we don't believe you. We Uh think you're, you know, maybe fertilizing this. Your product looks too good to be organic. Exactly. And they actually, they asked me to get the certification. And this was back in, um, I think it was like 2007. Mm -hmm. So this is when I was actually making some good money at it. And I was, I think, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually did have the certifiers from Mosa come out to certify my little half acre, acre plot. And then I was able to give the certificate to the the customers. So basically the customers asked me Mm -hmm. to get certified and I like it. And that's a good reason for doing it because when the market demands it, you Mm -hmm. adapt to what the market wants. So I always like to ask this question, what does a typical day on the farm look like? Now this is acknowledging that on farms, there isn't always a typical day. Well, I I mean, for me, I let's say it's a Monday uh, in July. Mm -hmm. I set the alarm for about 5.15. I push the snooze and then I'm up by 5.30. (laughs) And what I start doing is uh, I I head out to the field. It's just just getting sunny. Um, And we start harvesting our baby greens because they like to be uh, picked when it's a little bit chillier out. Mm -hmm. I do have um, my my staff. They uh, are there at 6 a.m. So they assist me with harvesting the greens and then after the greens, we harvest our root crops. Mm-hmm. So this is at maybe eight o'clock, carrots, beets, turnips, radishes, uh, maybe potatoes. Mm-hmm. And from, I'd say eight to nine, we're harvesting whatever else we need for the day. And then from nine to about 9.30, we finish the washing, mm-hmm. packaging process. And myself, I... Uh, start delivering the products to the restaurants, whoever ordered the day before. Mm -hmm. And now while I'm delivering, my staff is actually picking the bigger crops. They're picking Mm -hmm. the winter squash or the melons or the tomatoes, which like to be picked in the middle of the day when it's Mm -hmm. not, there's no uh, moisture. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm delivering, I'm normally back by two Mm -hmm. kind of making sure they've picked all their products (laughs) And then I'm actually packaging the tomatoes and uh, all the other crops and getting them ready for the next day. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's two to four. And then at four, the staff goes home. And that's when I get a few farm chores done, mm-hmm. maybe seeding the next succession of baby greens or root crops or green beans mm-hmm. till about six. And at that point, I go out and maybe I'm having a friend or a date over. I go out and harvest some 
personal lettuce, personal mm-hmm. tomatoes, and make a nice salad, make maybe a little appetizer, and then I kind of rest uh, and enjoy my evenings with some friends, yeah. and I'm normally in bed by about 9, 9.30, because I'm, I'm beat at that yeah, point. Yeah, but I can imagine by yes. that point, you saw, it sounds tiring by that point. So it could be 12-hour days sometimes, yeah. easily. That's the life of a farmer. I enjoy it, though. <laughs> good, good. Yes. So how many different varieties of crops do you graze, I mean, in terms of produce? We, we, we Varieties, I, I'd say... A hundred varieties because we grow a lot of different varieties of the tomatoes, mm-hmm. like the the old heirlooms, like Brandywine, yeah. the Cherokee Purple, uh, the Black Cherry Tomato. But mainly we stick to about 40 vegetables mm-hmm. and six or seven herbs and our melons are our only fruit. Yeah. If you don't mind my asking, so what kind, what's like the best tomato for a burger? I know that we're just starting to get warm weather, but I'm already thinking about grilling. Uh, there's a variety called uh, Moscovich. Moscovich. It's an Italian heirloom. Big, red, juicy, but uh, large enough to, to, to cut and put on a burger. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Cherokees are a little bit too small. Um, but yeah, the Moscovich is my favorite heirloom. And it's just your typical big red tomato. Big red tomato. Yes. So how do you usually market your products? Uh, you mentioned restaurants. You mentioned farmers markets. How do you prefer to? Um, well, we we do actually dine at some of these restaurants in the winter. Yeah. And at that point, I kind of mention if, if the restaurant is, uh, you know, good quality up to my mm-hmm. standards because yeah. I only like to go to some of the best restaurants. Mm-hmm. But if it is... Um, I normally uh, mention maybe to uh, the bartender or the manager, hey, I have uh, a certified organic vegetable farm and we grow seasonal produce. And what I would do is give them a card and set a meeting. Mm-hmm. So mostly for, restaurants, that's how the outlet you choose to go at right now? For right now, mm-hmm. yes. It, I, I enjoy working with the restaurants the best. Yeah. Throughout your farm, you have quite a bit of vegetable diversity. I mean, you already said you have over 100 different varieties. What is it that makes you choose what you're growing next? Actually, based on what some of the chefs request. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with a couple um, kind of personal chef delivery services. Um, they may request uh, a certain variety of cucumber or a mm-hmm. summer radish or a golden beet. So if they're willing to buy a certain amount per week, I'm willing to grow that for them. So mm-hmm. uh, even with um, parsley, normally a tricky crop to sell to some of the restaurants because mm-hmm. they don't use too much of it. But some of our juice bars that we work with buy it in bulk. They'll, uh-huh. Some of them buy 10 pounds a week. And oh. that's uh, it's a lot of parsley. That's a lot of parsley. Yes. That, that's pretty incredible. So really, the restaurants and the market is how you choose what you raise because, as you said already, you got organic certification because customers wanted it. Yes. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's really the way a lot of farmers should. Uh, Benjamin Hartman wrote a book called The Lean Farm, and he talks about not having product fascination when you get just amazed by this uh, one type of vegetable and you grow it and then find out no one wants it. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a, a good point. I, I do enjoy that book and uh, learning from him. 
uh, when we used to do the farmer's markets, especially when I was really young, 1920, back in um, you know the mid-2000s, I had to stand at the farmer's market and I would grow uh, this little baby sweet tomato called a ground cherry. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's wrapped in like a paper husk. Uh-huh. And they grow like tomatoes and they fall off the ground. They fall on the ground. That's why they're called ground cherries. Mm-hmm. And they have a kind of sweet tart taste to them. And everyone at the market loved them. They all would sample them. I was the hit mm-hmm. with those ground cherries. But now that I don't do the farmer's markets anymore, I've tried selling those to the chefs. And I still am unable to mm-hmm. uh, talk them into buying the ground cherries. They're too weird. Mm-hmm. So now I maybe grow a few for personal, but uh-huh. no longer grow bulk ground cherries. I mean, it's interesting that that's the way that works because, mm-hmm. I mean, when you're a farmer's market, people like looking at the different. I mean, they yes. like, because, I mean, of all these rows of vegetables, which is the vendor that has that something that makes them attract to it? Yes. Whereas the restaurant, I mean, when you're going out for a meal, you want something that's at least vaguely normal. <laughs> Yes, it's tough to sell a white eggplant to a uh, you know uh-huh. an Italian chef who wants a a nice meaty egg, purple eggplant. That it's really interesting how that works. Yes. So shifting gears here, what do you think are some of the pertinent issues facing agriculture today? I mean, do you have any critique to sustainable agriculture? I'm just curious since you've obviously been in it for quite a bit now. It does seem quite a bit. Of it, it does work. I I wish I was able to expand. I. Mm wish that vegetable farmers were treated somewhat like the, the feed corn farmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish that I can grow a hundred acres of broccoli mm-hmm. and load it in a semi truck and bring it to a giant distribution center down the road mm-hmm. that then distributes it all over the United States or the Midwest. But the demand for that many vegetables is just not there. Mm-hmm. It, is it sustainable? Could we do it? Yes. Um, I think it has to do with the the American diet, actually. People mm-hmm. like their processed food right now. People like their meat. Yes. And people like their soft drinks. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, something like kale is, is only a niche market. You don't think they're going to come out the kale soda from Pepsi? <sighs> Not in my lifetime, no. Even if I live to 100, I don't think so. And I, I wish it was a little different just so I could expand, but I, I am blessed that I, I do um, – I am able to sell my 10 acres mm-hmm. or possibly maybe someday 20, but I don't see it getting bigger than that. And it is sustainable for me, mm-hmm. but I think uh, I – I don't think the government supports it enough. Mm-hmm. I think they're putting all their research into corn yeah. and soy and meat. Mm-hmm. I think vegetables, it's kind of forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And we kind of only are selling to maybe, I would say, 5% of the population. Wow. And so like, I wish there was room to grow. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe we'll see it. But like you said, uh, no one's going to start eating kale chip Doritos. Yeah, no, that's that's not going to happen. It, wouldn't it be a funny world if they... It'd be it, interesting. It would be good for me because be then I could you. grow yeah, hundreds of acres. Then you could grow hundreds of acres of kale. Yes. Okay, so what do you think agriculture is doing right? I mean, it, it's just really sustainable agriculture. What do you think is what's making it work in a lot of these areas? Uh, we... We, uh, we have... 
worked with the the land more. I've noticed even on the corn farms, they're starting to grow um, a hairy vetch crop in between mm-hmm. their planting cycles. We we are starting to care more for the the future of the land. Mm-hmm. We're growing, um, you know, more natural. I, I am seeing a lot of the farmers spraying less, mm-hmm. not concentrating as much on the, the, the chemicals, the fertilizers. A lot of them are building their soil, the big guys and the small guys. Mm-hmm. So I think we're that, that's a good thing. Um, I think there is a lot of education available now mm-hmm. at these um, farming expos, at uh, even sometimes your local community college yeah. offers the resources and of course the internet I'm able to, to look up a, a farmer in British Columbia growing you know tomatoes in the middle of the winter mm-hmm. and I could learn from that so I think we're all connected better uh, I, I also think that uh, everyone who is purchasing the vegetables is uh, has uh, a high standard of mm-hmm. quality which is good Mm-hmm. Which is which keeps us uh, keeps give, you accountable. Yes, it, it yes. lets the farmers that do a great job like you stay in business, and the farmers that are kind of just throwing seeds in the field and walking away don't do as well. And they kind of stick to their gardens, and that's mm-hmm. that's fine. But they can't. Um, they don't really affect me anymore. Yeah. At the markets, they they did though. Mm-hmm. You'd have a lot of you know young or old people who just want to have a garden and, and bring a bunch of green beans to sell. Yeah. So, okay. So from, from your experience in farmer's markets, just kind of tailing back to this, what are a couple of pointers you'd give a person walking to a farmer's market? Like what's something you think that they would, they should be looking for? They, they should look, especially the produce. They should look for a, a table that is diverse they should also question the farmer and make mm-hmm. sure that that man or woman was growing those crops. Mm-hmm. And you can even check their hands to see if they work with nature, if they really care, uh, and ask them if they eat their own product. A lot mm-hmm. of the mar- uh, you know farmers uh, uh, who do grow this stuff cook, so mm-hmm. you could ask them questions about that. Um, you want to look for a stand also that's not too big, mm-hmm. not... 20 tables because at that point they're most likely purchasing a lot of those products from Mm -hmm. Kentucky, Georgia, and then selling them for a higher price here, especially like the peach farmers. Beware of those guys. Mm -hmm. And ideally if they are purchasing their peaches, I've known a couple that are at least honest about it. If they're honest, yes. I mean, that is a very good indicator in my mind is how honest are they willing to be with you? Yes. I mean, that's because it is all a matter of trust and relationships with the farmer's markets, with the restaurant, with anyone you sell to. Because even with the restaurants, some people can do the same thing. They could mm-hmm. sell old tomatoes or they could even lie and say it's organic mm-hmm. and it's not. That's why what, what kind of makes me stand out is having the certificate. Mm-hmm. And you think that gives you a little bit of a leg up when you go to these restaurants? It does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Most of them ask right away, are you, if you say you're a vegetable farmer, they're like, oh, do you do it organically? Right away. Almost every time. That's awesome. So it works. And it, it's, it's, um, it's working out well. I would say there's about 30 or 40 restaurants in the Northwest suburbs 
that are into this mm-hmm. and that we work with. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to expand possibly to even the North Shore someday yeah. and Chicago. Yeah. I and, mean, you're close enough to it. Yes. Yes. So I mean, that's the beauty of being where you are is that you're just out. You're outside enough that you're not connected to it. You're not too close, but you're not too far away either. It's nice. No, no one bugs me out here. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is slightly off topic. I didn't prepare you for this question, but okay. what are, what's just some general advice you'd give to people that want to learn more about farming? I would say, uh, I mean, to learn from my mistakes, right away you should work for a uh, organic vegetable operation, organic fruit operation, even an organic uh, meat operation mm-hmm. and work, you know, uh, there maybe for a, a season, mm-hmm. even intern mm-hmm. that way you kind of know if you, if it's really for you, because yeah. it is, it's not for everyone. No. Um, and I kind of, you know, I had to teach myself. There wasn't this, uh, this was before Facebook. This was before, mm-hmm. before even Google open source farming that we've come to know and love. And I, I would say also uh, they, they should go to these these expos that are available, like the Moses Expo. Um, there, there's really some in every region. There's mm-hmm. the the expo, the fruit and vegetable grower expo up in Grand Rapids in mm-hmm. December. I, I've been going there since I was mm-hmm. 19. You get a lot from that. You meet other mm-hmm. farmers. You connect with all the, the companies in the industry, like the seed companies, the tool companies. Mm-hmm. Um, the certification yeah. services. Um, but I would say try it out for a few years, uh, maybe even have your own garden, mm-hmm. lease a couple garden plots in your community, wherever you can find a little bit of land and see how you like it. And if you like it, um, after three years, go for it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't... Yeah, no. What if you prefer <laughs> to remain a consumer? What's the best way to learn more about farming? Oh, sorry. From a consumer standpoint, so I like to go buy X, Y, and Z rather than raise it myself. What's a good way for me to learn about, like, when I'm talking to a farmer, to know what he's talking about? Um, again, I you could uh, um, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry about that question. No, sorry. that's okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, again, folks, I didn't prepare him for this question. It was just one that came off on my head. Um, yeah, I, I would say consumer-wise, yeah, asking at the farmers markets if they could go to their farms, mm-hmm. if they because uh, it can really be a good indicator, especially when like you're talking to the farmer, if they're willing to have you on their farm, that gives you an idea of like how honest or trustworthy they can be. Absolutely, just like how you're here today. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so as we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience? Like, what are some, where are some good restaurants that like you sell to, or you think, hey, people should go check it out there? Oh, absolutely. They have great food. Absolutely, and in this area, so we're we're talking about the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, in Crystal Lake, there's a wonderful restaurant called Duke's Ale House, mm-hmm. and he's a certified green restaurant. Um, they source a lot of our veggies. They source mm-hmm. local meat. Um, He's very big on the pickling mm-hmm. of the vegetables to use them during the winter. Uh, another lovely restaurant is in Barrington, mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, it's called Near. Near. Near Restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of hip American Italian cooking. Mm-hmm. Makes all of his pastas from scratch. 
He does a wonderful uh, burrata cheese dish with our heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very cutting edge. And then I love uh, pure organic juicery in Barrington as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they make really creative juices, uh, vegan quiches with our zucchini and butternut squash. So I highly recommend those two in Barrington. And I'll let I'll keep you updated with some oh, more. Absolutely. Um, as, as we have more interviews more about them, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, can people follow you on a Facebook page or? Yes. So Middlebury Farms, uh, the word middle, then B U R Y uh-huh. Farms on Facebook. Yes. Excellent. And we kind of update what we're growing, uh, the progress mm-hmm. of our season, mm-hmm. uh, how to contact us, and we'll, we'll link this this interview in Absolutely. there too, of course. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Peter. It's always a delight to talk to you. I'm sorry for ambushing you with that long question, but thank you for answering it. Totally cool. Thank you for having me, Terrence. This was fun. It's great. Cheers. Well, I feel a little bad about that curveball question, but it did give us some great suggestions. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Intellectual Agrarian. Please follow Middlebury Farms on Facebook. The link is in the description, along with all of the links on how to follow our fantastic content we'll have for you every week. Be sure to watch our Field Notes tour of Peter's Farm on YouTube. That link will be in the description below also. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to whatever listening medium you're using and leave a nice review. As always, I'm Terrence Lahue, an intellectual agrarian. Please subscribe and follow along. And let's keep farming the dream. <laughs>